Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. Uh... I need to turn my mic on, sorry. Details. I do this every week. You'd think I'd learn, but here we are. Well, let's try that again. Connect. So good to see you all. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Chris. I get to serve on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to come gather, worship, celebrate with us today. Today we're going to be continuing our epic series. And as we've seen throughout this series, this whole, this whole series is all about the Bible and what the Bible is about. The Bible is one story, the story of God, and it teaches us how God intends to intersect our story. And what we saw was that way back in the beginning, God created humanity to have a relationship with him, relationship with one another, and to represent him everywhere to everyone. But if you know the story, Adam and Eve sinned. They did what we've all done since. They turned their back on God, and as a result, that relationship humanity was created to experience with God, it was severed. Disconnection between us and God because of our sin. And the, the plot of the story, the, the common thread line is God moving. God moving to redeem, restore, and reconnect us with him. That's God's mission. And God's mission was Jesus' mission. Jesus said it this way. He said, for the Son of Man, talking about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For three years, Jesus taught the ways of God, and he he healed the sick, he cared for the outcast. Why would he do this? Because he came for the one far from God, the one who's hurting, the one who's broken. And Jesus lived this way, And he demonstrated that he was the Messiah, the one that prophets had prophesied about for hundreds of years. And he comes and he has this incredible life, incredible ministry, and then he dies. Like, no one saw it coming. The Messiah hung dead on a Roman cross. But we know the story. He victoriously rose from the grave three days later. And in rising from the dead, he's offering us new life. He's forgiven our sins. And he's offering us life with God. So you have a relationship with God. Now what? Like seriously, now what? I I mean, the the disciples certainly thought it. They even asked Jesus about it. Uh, From Acts 1, we see them, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're like, Jesus, is it go time? Like, are we going to take on Rome now? Like, is this the moment? Jesus' response was not what they were expecting. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is like, Guys, guys, God's got it covered, but you do have a part to play. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go tell everyone about me, starting with those closest to you and then going out from there. Got it? I, I picture him with the disciples. All right, everybody, put your hands in, put your hands in. Yeah, Peter, get your hand in here. All right, for the kingdom on three. One, two, three, for the kingdom. 
all right, guys, go get him. It's not exactly how it went down, but that's how I picture it. Luke, Luke records it this way. Verse 9 of Acts 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends to heaven. He's right now at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples are just standing there looking up, starstruck, taking it all in. When two angels appear and they're like, what are you guys doing? You heard him, get on with it. And they had to have thought, okay, but now what? And it's the question that we're going to answer today. Because when we connect with God through Jesus, God's not done with us. He's just getting started. The problem is that many of us are just like the disciples. We're standing there or, or sitting there and we're just, we're just looking up. We're just taking it all in. You know, we have a term for it these days. We call it church. You know what like church is, right? It's when you don't have plans on the weekend, so you show up to a building and then you watch paid professionals on the stage do their thing. Church. Now that might be how Americans define church, but Jesus' vision for the church was so much greater. Uh, in America, you shop for church. You attend church. You give to the church. But for Jesus, you are the church. Church, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And we have a role to play in his plan. So what's his game plan? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to not just hear the game plan, we're going to be equipped to execute it. Equipped in a way that you might not have been equipped before. Because on Jesus' team, no one rides the bench. No one just stands there awestruck, just looking at others do the thing. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, this isn't the playing field. Out there's the playing field. Your neighborhood, your offices, the parks, all the places you go. That's the playing field. That's where Jesus has called us to. So we come here to be inspired and to be equipped so that when we go out there, we can represent him well. So how do we do that? Well, if you got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew records uh, this final interaction Jesus had with his disciples, and he gives some marching orders there, a game plan for us. If you need a Bible, you can, of course, follow along on our app, take some notes there. Now, before we go any further, let's do this. Let's pause, and let's pray, and let's just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us now. Lord, we come before you, eager to encounter you. Thank you for calling us to be the church as a people in relationship with you, in relationship with one another, would we join you, Jesus, on mission? Teach us how to do that now. We ask this in your name, amen. So Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, recorded the following. Picking up now, this is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 17. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples go out to this mountain, Mount Tabor. Here's a picture of it. And they go out there because they're told, hey, Jesus is going to meet us there. So they go out there. And while at the mountain, 
Matthew, who was there, tells us that they worshiped him. And, you know, that makes sense. Uh, Forty days ago, he had risen from the dead, and it's not every day that someone does, does that. So, like, they are, they're worshiping him. He's clearly God. But interestingly, did you catch that Matthew also said? He said, some doubted. Now, in the original language, the Greek that Matthew wrote this, that word translated doubted, it really connotes uh, not so much the indecision, more so a hesitancy. Um, they're trying to figure out, like, they're, they're undecisive. They're, they're trying to figure out, like, what, what's going on here? Basically, they're, they're human. Again, it's not every day someone rises from the dead. So they're human. They're trying to figure out what all of this means, the events of the last 40 days. And Jesus shows up, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, for three years, the disciples experienced this. They, they experienced the healings. They heard the teachings. They saw it all. They even touched his nail-scarred hands after he was risen from the dead. Clearly, Jesus was powerful. Why is Jesus reminding them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him? He's like, guys, I am all powerful everywhere. Why do the disciples need this reminder? They need it because Jesus knows what he was about to call them to. And here's what he called them to. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, as God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost, Jesus was sending his disciples to carry on his mission in his physical absence. God's mission was Jesus' mission, and it's now his disciples' mission. You see, Jesus came with a very clear purpose. He had a race to run, and he ran his leg of the race. So he passed the baton of his mission to his disciples, and now it was their turn to run the race. And this has been happening throughout history, passing the baton. Disciples have this responsibility to carry on Jesus' mission in Jesus' physical absence. We know this mission as the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard that term before, but you don't exactly know what it is. This is the Great Commission, this passage that we are reading today. And when our staff was at the Exponential Conference in Orlando last month, I love how Christine Kane put the Great Commission in perspective for us. She said this, she said, Jesus' last command needs to be our first priority. Jesus' last command needs to be our first priority. Because the Great Commission is, is our marching orders. It's our game plan. The Great Commission is why we aren't just like teleported to heaven when we accept Jesus. The Great Commission is why the church exists. The Great Commission is why Connect Church exists, to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. We have a purpose. God wants to include us in something. And as, as followers of Jesus today, our game plan for every day is very simple. Make disciples. Make disciples. Jesus began, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus expects his disciples to make disciples. Not sell spiritual goods and services, not create converts. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. That's Jesus' game plan. A convert might believe certain things. A disciple actually behaves a certain way. We're going to see this in a moment. What they, what they believe has, has moved not from, just from their head to their heart, but actually out into the way that they're living their lives. 
Now, the natural question, if Jesus says, go and make disciples, is like, how? How do we make disciples? And Jesus gets there, but first he tells his disciples where to make these disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This echoes what we've seen throughout this series. I mean, even if you weren't with us, I mean, just listen to this. Back in Genesis 1, after God created humanity, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Then we see in Genesis 12 that God calls Abraham. And when he did, he said this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Then after freeing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, they're at Mount Sinai. We know Mount Sinai as the place where God gave his people the Ten Commandments, but before he gave them the Ten Commandments, he reminded them who they are, and this is what he said. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you remember that message, the whole idea was that as, the, as a nation, Israel was going to represent God to the nations, and the other nations would actually know God through Israel. God had a plan for his people. Now, what we've also seen through this series is that God's people have a really hard time with God's plan, like the carrying out part. But like the Israelites, even when we fail in carrying out God's plan, the amazing thing is that God's purposes prevail. And here, today, we have the Great Commission. Jesus calling his disciples to go and make disciples, commissioning them to go and carry out his mission in his physical absence of all nations, because God loves everyone and he wants a relationship with everyone. And his plan is to, to bless his people and an overflow from them and bless those around them. That was the plan for Israel and it's the plan for us. We, we love the one far from God by blessing them. We use a simple acronym to help us remember how to practically love the one far from God. Bless. We begin with prayer. Listen, eat, serve, share. These are just practical ways that we want to love like Jesus. Because if you took a, a little bit of time and you read through the Gospels, what you would observe in Jesus' life and ministry is that he prayed a lot, like a lot, a lot. He listened to those who were hurting. He ate with people and accepted people who didn't look like him. Jesus did a lot of ministry around the table. Jesus served, healed the sick, ministered to the outcast, showing God's love in very tangible, physical ways. And Jesus did not shrink back on the truth. He was very clear. This is how the one who's far from God can have a relationship with God. It's through him. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Now, like Jesus, we seek to love the one far from God. And I love how it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. I was talking with Jordy. A couple of, some of you know Jordy. I was talking with him after service a couple weeks ago. And he was sharing how he has a friend who, her name's up here on our Pray For One board. And he was saying, hey, she just lost her husband in the war in Ukraine. His friend lives in Alaska, and he was like, how do I encourage her? And he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to just send this gal Psalm 23. So he sent her Psalm 23, and the craziest thing happened. 
she was encouraged. She was encouraged. And Jordy was just faithful to do what he felt like God was asking him to do. We don't need to overthink this. This blessing the one far from God, this loving people well, we don't have to overthink it. Just do what we feel like God's asking us to do. Be faithful in that. So don't overthink it, but, but go do it. Like bless someone this week. Uh, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, into the ends of the earth. Okay, Jerusalem, that'd be kind of like our local community. Judea and Samaria, maybe for us, that's the front range. It's the region. The, the ends of the earth. Yeah, it's, it's the ends of the earth. It's, it's the whole deal. Uh, for us, you know, I, I like to try to keep it simple because when I look at like the end of the world, I'm like, whoo, that's, that's huge. But the front range, that's like, okay, like I've driven those roads. I know people in different parts of our state. What would it look like for us from neighborhoods to nations, including the front range? What would it look like for us to take Jesus seriously and to make disciples who make disciples? I got to tell you one thing, it's not going to be by our own know-how. It, it can't be. I'm not that smart. You're not either. But Jesus had a game plan. And in his game plan, it wasn't about addition, it was about multiplication. One becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256. You see, it quickly grows. It's why we actually, we value as a church multiplying for impact. Like if we want to have the global impact that Jesus envisioned for his church, then we got to multiply. Disciples making disciples making disciples. And when you're focused on the one right in front of you, it doesn't have to be that hard. I think of how my youth pastor, Jared, discipled me. Yes, he was a pastor. Yes, he taught messages and he led a group that I was in. But you know what actually made a difference in my life? Probably more than those, you know, standard things. It was the life on lifetime I had with him. He showed up at my cross country races and cheered me on. He invited me over for dinner with him and his wife. When he had to shop for an event, he would invite me to come with him so that we could do it together. And we'd just talk as we walked the aisles of the grocery store. Jared didn't overthink it. He just intentionally showed up in my life and invited me to be a part of his. And it changed everything for me. I saw Jesus more clearly and I grew in my faith, my relationship with God, because of Jared's investment in me. So kids leaders, group leaders, team leaders, imagine the impact you could have if you invited those you're pointing to Jesus just to, to follow you and be part of your life. And as they follow you, they start following Jesus more closely. All right, as disciples, we're supposed to make disciples. Let's talk about how. How do you make a disciple? Jesus kept it pretty simple, and we're just going to take it in order. All right, the first thing he says is baptize them. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus, baptism is step number one in following him. It's like, if you're with me, like, this is what it looks like. Get baptized. Baptism is not like some spiritual hoop or a religious hoop that we jump through. 
It's not that at all. Baptism is a representation of dying to our life of sin and, and rising to this new life with Jesus. It's a physical representation of what Jesus does in us, spiritually. And it's this beautiful mile marker for us along the way in our spiritual journey. I, uh, I think of, well, let me say this first. Uh, some faith traditions, they actually will baptize babies. Maybe you came from one of those faith traditions. And we don't because we don't see that in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that baptism is connected with one's personal decision to follow Jesus. Now, I actually, my parents, they came from one of those faith traditions that baptized babies. They grew up Catholic, they were very devout Catholic, and when I was a baby, they wanted me to grow up to have a relationship with God. So they did the best they knew how, and they had me baptized as a baby. Now, a couple years after that, when I was about two, my parents would tell you that that was when they really came to know Jesus in a personal way, like had a relationship with him themselves. And I, so I grew up in this Christian household, and I loved it. I was, I'm so thankful for it. I remember when I was seven, I, on my, my uh, bedroom floor with my mom, I sat and I prayed before bed to accept Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And, and when I think back on my whole spiritual journey, the, the point that really stands out for me along the way, like the, where things shifted, was actually when I was 14. I got baptized in a hotel pool. And the reason it shifted then was no longer was following Jesus my parents' thing. No longer was it a private prayer that I prayed. No, it was a public declaration I made. I'm with him. And before my family, friends, and a, whoever else was at the pool that day, I was baptized. I'm with Jesus. Now, if, uh, if you claim to follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I want to just call you to follow Jesus Jesus' way. Jesus said, disciples get baptized. Like he's teaching his disciples to make disciples. And he's like, all right, step one, baptize them. So if you haven't been baptized, like, like what's holding you back? If you're all in with Jesus, he wants you to publicly demonstrate that. He saves you, but he wants you to be obedient to him. And the way that we live that out starts with getting baptized. So if you haven't been baptized, let me tell you, there's a giant pool over there, and I brought my swimsuit today. We have a change of clothes for you in the trailer, and we would love to help you be obedient to Jesus today. But if there's someone that, that you want to come and celebrate with you, like we get that too. You know, let us know in your connect card. If you want to get baptized today, like catch me after service, we'll make it happen. If you want to get baptized next week, that's cool. We can do that too. And, and if you think, okay, well, Chris, I, I gotta, I'm not gonna like say it, but I kind of feel a little awkward because I've been following Jesus for some time. I just didn't know that baptism was important to him. I'm like, that's okay, I get, that makes sense. That was my family story for a while. And I just want you to know this, there is no shame in baptism. There is only celebration. And we would love to celebrate with you as a church as you follow Jesus, Jesus' way. Now, if, if you have been baptized, and you know, you're following Jesus, but you haven't baptized someone, I pray that you get to baptize someone real soon. Uh, because disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And maybe you've, you've seen a baptism take place, and you're like, that's awesome, you cheer, you celebrate, and it's, it's a blast. 
You know what's so cool? And it's a privilege when God includes you in this. When you actually get to be a part of that moment, when you get to baptize someone, it is like such a privilege. And it's not a privilege reserved for pastors. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them. So as a disciple, I pray you get to baptize people. And I'm just going to teach you how to do it right now because I don't need to be there when you do. All right? I'd love to be. I'd love to celebrate. It'd be a blast. But you can do this if you're a follower of Jesus. And what I do is I just give the person an opportunity to vocalize their faith in Jesus. So much of our life is private and individual, but what we see in scripture is that it's more communal. And we actually like publicly declare Jesus is Lord. So I just say, you know, what's your, what's your confession of faith or what do you believe? And it's an opportunity for that person to say what scripture says, Jesus is Lord. And then just like we read in Matthew 28, I just say, well, I now get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have them, if they're standing or sitting, doesn't matter. I just have them put their arms across their body. And then I put one arm on their arms, one hand on their arms, one hand on their back, and I slowly immerse them under the water, just like the word for baptism means in the original language. I just immerse them. It's like they're entering a watery grave. They come up, cleansed. It's all symbolic. Jesus is the one who's doing it all in the moment. And it's incredible. It, 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 this, is, this is why we aren't just teleported to heaven after we accept Jesus. We actually get to help others discover new life in Jesus. And we get to help them follow him in very practical ways. So if you're a parent, I pray you get to baptize your kids. Group leaders, I pray that you baptize your group members. Everyone, I pray that you get to baptize your pray for ones because it is a privilege to be a part of that moment in someone's spiritual journey. So baptism is this beautiful physical representation of a spiritual reality when we receive Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, we're to baptize new disciples of Jesus. And to make a disciple, the second thing we do is teach them to obey. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said it this way, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Sometimes in church, remember church from earlier? Yeah, sometimes in church, we think that like knowledge is how we grow in faith. Knowledge is helpful, but knowledge alone isn't the end game. Paul said it this way. He said, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We are not saved by good works. Nothing. We are not saved by any good work, but we are saved for good works. Like if we say we follow Jesus, follow is a verb. So we should, we should follow with our life. And our faith actually expresses itself as faithfulness. And we don't just read the Bible, we apply the Bible. You know, practically what, I, what that looks like for me when I do my chair time in the morning and I'm reading scripture, at the end, before I'm done, I'll write down what I, I felt like God was saying to me and what I'm going to do that day as a result of it. Like I should be different. We should be different when we read scripture. Like we shouldn't keep living the way we've always lived because of what God has spoken to us through his word. But the whole thing with following Jesus is that it's hard. Jesus knew that it was going to be hard. So when he invited his followers to follow him in the beginning, he invited them to follow him as a community. 
It's like the first small group, 12 of them. They're following Jesus around together. And we like to follow Jesus together too. In fact, we say it this way. We say following Jesus is better together. And you heard Garrett talk about it earlier in the service, but we do that in community groups where you can know others and others can know you. And knowing that loving the one far from God is hard, we, we hold one another accountable to it. We encourage one another. We support one another. We pray for one another towards that end. And we ask two questions every single time we gather with our groups. The first question is, how did you bless someone this week? And the second question is, how will you bless someone this week? Why are we so boring? Why are we so repetitive? Because following Jesus is challenging, especially when it means that we have to stretch ourselves to love someone who isn't like us. And we need the support and the encouragement from the community to help us follow Jesus in those ways. So when you're discipling someone, and you're, you're talking about scripture with them. Help them live it out. Invite them to, to follow you and, and be a part of a group too with you. Like, like as they follow you and they're, they're with others who are seeking to follow Jesus, they're gonna wanna follow Jesus more and they're gonna see what that looks like real practically. So here's the crazy thing about making disciples. Jesus uses it to grow us in our faith. I've, I've been to uh, Bible college. I got a, a degree in biblical studies, went to seminary, did the MDiv deal. Great. Thankful for my educational experience. Very helpful. And I have grown far more in my faith by actually discipling others, students, people I've met at the gym, family members, leaders, my own kids. Like, it's actually the act of discipling someone else that I, I got to depend on God. Like, I got to pray more. I got to read scripture more. I've got to understand the ways of Jesus if I'm ever to, to teach someone the ways of Jesus. So if you want to grow in your faith, here's Jesus' discipleship growth track. Go and make disciples. You're going to have to depend on God like you never have before. And when you do, you're going to grow. And they're also going to grow too. As a disciple of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. But please, please, please do not do this by your own power. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples this, he opened with this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then after teaching them how to make a disciple, he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is all powerful everywhere. So let's rely on his power and his presence as we go about our lives making disciples. This means we don't have to force the issue in a conversation. We're not salespeople. We don't have to close a deal. What we read earlier is that we are witnesses. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who tells someone else what they've seen, heard, or experienced. I, uh, I think of a time a couple weeks ago Oh, a couple months ago, sorry, now. I uh, showed up, I was going to play pickleball, and I saw this guy, I met a couple of times, his name's Steve, and I said, hey, Steve, I'm like putting my paddle down, I want to get in on the next game, and so he goes, oh, hey, Chris, we were just talking about you. I'm like, oh, nice. Uh, so nervously, I was like, I oh, hope it was good. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 it was, it was good. Dale and I were just talking about how you always have a good attitude on court, and I just really need to, I need to be better about that. Okay, pull back. I knew in that moment, I'm like, this is it. Like, 
the way I was living was, was different than what he's you know, used to experiencing. Like, this is my moment. I can share Jesus. And I also thought, I don't have 30 minutes. I don't even have three minutes. Like, like so honestly, I was tongue-tied. And I was just like, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Opportunity to witness missed. It wasn't until a couple weeks after that when we were at that exponential conference as a staff and I was in this breakout session all about making disciples. And the, the trainers of this session shared a, an approach that they, they use. Uh, that's a very simple way of sharing Jesus and how Jesus has impacted your life with others. And they call it your 15 second testimony. And you might say something like this. Uh, there was a time in my life when, and you, you know, pick two words, I was lonely and anxious. But then I met Jesus and experienced his love and forgiveness. And now I'm experiencing joy and peace. You whatever, two other words. So you're showing like, hey, look, this is what life was like before Jesus. I met Jesus and now my life looks different. Everyone's story is different. And you might choose to share different things in different moments. But rarely have I met somebody who's like giving me a compliment and wants me to now like give them a sales pitch. Never. But Steve in that moment was pointing out something different and I had an opportunity to very genuinely just share why I am different on court. What I wish I would have said is something like this. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. You know, there was a time in my life when I took myself way too seriously and would get easily frustrated by my performance. But then I met Jesus experienced his love and forgiveness, and now I just have more joy, and I take myself a lot less seriously, and I'm more forgiving towards myself and others. Right? It's not an exact, you know, like a script, like you don't have to memorize it, but that idea, life before, how'd you meet, you met Jesus, and how it's changing you now. Very simple way to share your story, to witness to what Jesus has done in your life. So whether you're around the dinner table, or you're around the living room with your community group, this week with your family, with your community group, take it a moment and actually say it. Like, what would a 15-second testimony look like for you? Just try it. It's actually not that hard. And it's a tool that I wish I had a couple months ago because it would have changed the conversation. Now, here's the catch. Here, or here's, the, here's the trick. Here's the, the, the beauty of it. And I didn't mention it earlier, but I meant to. That last question, you, you share that, you know, your story, and then you say, do you have a story like that? Do you have a story like that? Steve, do you have a story like that? Because that invites the conversation and just gives them an opportunity to share their life. We're not forcing anything on anyone. We're sharing life with others, and we're sharing Jesus with others. So, we're going to talk a lot more about how to live this out and the power by which we can live this out in the weeks ahead, okay? Next week in particular, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's the one who empowers us to go and do what Jesus called us to do. But in the meantime, it's, it's time to run our leg of the race from neighborhoods to nations. So as a disciple of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus by the power of Jesus. And to illustrate how Jesus wants this to play out, the multiplication effect. I wanna invite Alex to come up here real quick. And I just want you to picture this with me, okay?
Say Alex is someone who doesn't know Jesus. And I, I just love him because I know God loves him. And I, I, I'm taking Jesus seriously and I'm, I'm teaching Alex about Jesus. And we just do this, let's just say for a year or so, because it takes time. Rarely is the, someone, does someone want to follow Jesus you know, in the first conversation. Sometimes it happens, most of the time it takes time. So I'm discipling Alex. Alex comes to Christ. He, he gets baptized. He's like, I'm in. What about this? What if Alex and I, next year, 2024, what if we now disciple someone else? So Alex, why don't you call someone up and I'll call someone up too. Yeah, Zach here, you wanna come up here? All right, he picks Zach. Next year. All right, he's discipling. Um, Let's do this. Can I do Chrissy? All right, Chrissy's gonna join me. So picture this, next year, 2024, Alex is now discipling Zach and I'm discipling Chrissy. We do this for a year because it takes time. How about come 2025, we decide to disciple someone else. So Chrissy, you can pick somebody. How about Emmy? Emmy, you've been called, you're picked for the kickball team. (laughs) Trey can come too. Kids count. Uh, Chase, can you join me? These people did not know this was coming, so give them grace. Go for it, Alex. Um, Adele, come up. All right, Adele, nice. Zach. Lim. Lim. All right, here we go. See, what you see is that in just a couple years' time, many lives are now impacted by the gospel. And it really just was us being intentional with one person over a period of time, a year. We just picked an arbitrary amount of time. Picture this with me. The Front Range has five million people in it. Five million, that's like a lot of people. How would we ever make disciples of five million people? And yet as a church, we are very public. We dream of the day when every one has an opportunity to connect with God, the church, Big C Church, not Connect Church, Big C Church in their purpose. If we just kept doing this, this little life on life, I'm going to disciple one person a year thing and they're going to make a disciple. Do you know that by 2040, everyone in the front range would have an opportunity to follow Jesus? Everyone. The results aren't up to us. The faithfulness is. So what would it look like for you to join us and go love the one far from God and make a disciple who makes disciples just like Jesus said. You see, God loves everyone, everyone. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He ran his leg of the race. Will you run yours? To reach everyone, it's time to run. God, we we come before you because we know that we need your power to, to help us to live this way. Left to our own devices, uh, it's tempting just to, to succumb to comfort and to watching others do the thing. But Lord, thank you for calling all of us to participate in your mission. You are so good. You are so, so good. And we praise you. We ask that you would do far more, not just in the front range, but truly to the ends of the earth, the nations. Would you empower us? Would you equip us? Would you mobilize us to follow Jesus, Jesus' way? And we ask this in his name, amen.